story of Mr. Ruse and Mr. Popper. In November 1930, in the Swan and Pyramid public house in North London, conversation was taking place between two men. If anyone else in the pub had caught any part of the conversation taking place between the two men standing at the bar, they would have noticed nothing strange or unusual. They might have noticed that one was drinking beer and the other lemonade, and one of the men was more smartly dressed than the other, but there was nothing else of note that would have drawn their attention. It would later transpire that the two gentlemen had met outside the public house, and one had invited the other inside. It was November the 5th, although one of them would later say it was the second or the third. Later, one of the men would say that the other man with him was approximately 40 years of age, between 5 foot 6 and 5 foot 8 inches, had a slight brogue, and had a boxing or sports tattoo on his right arm. He would say that the man had been wearing police boots, which the other man explained had been given to him by the London police. He was also carrying a sports diary. The following day, at approximately 1.50am, November the 6th, two young men were making their way home along a country lane after attending a Guy Fawkes night dance in the town of Northampton. They were heading to their homes in the nearby village of Hardingstone when their attention was drawn to a fire ahead of them. Their first thought was that this was a bonfire because, of course, it was fireworks night, but it was a fierce-looking fire. As they got closer, a smartly-dressed man appeared in the lane coming toward them. As he approached them, they noticed that he was carrying an attaché case. As he reached level with them, one of the young men made a remark to the man about the intensity of the blaze up ahead, to which the man replied that somebody was having a bonfire, and continued on his way. As the two young men reached the end of the lane, they saw that the bonfire was actually a car on fire. The flames were too big for them even to attempt to put the fire out by themselves, and they rushed off to collect the village police constables. Returning as a group, the men used water from the nearby lake to put the fire out. Horror struck them once all the flames had died out. Inside the car in the passenger seat was a charred body. Near the car, a mallet was lying in the road, with hair attached to it. Although the fire had destroyed most of the car, the licence plate remained almost undamaged, and so the police were quickly able to discover the name of the owner of the car. The car was registered to an address in London, and a few hours later, the London police visited the car owner's address. His name was Albert Ruse, and he had a wife. She said he'd left home early in the evening of November the 5th to drive up north for a business meeting. He had then returned at some point in the early hours of the following morning, she said, but she did not know where he was now. This was a bit strange, the police thought. They asked her if she would be willing to accompany them to the police station, where some of the items retrieved from the car now were. When they showed her a wallet, she identified it as her husband's, and the scraps of metal taken from the clothing of the burnt man in the car also looked like her husband's clothes, she said. At the same time as this was happening, in a house in Grimorganshire, Wales, a woman opened her morning newspaper to find her fiancé's burnt-out car pictured in a news item. Quickly, she showed her fiancé, who was sitting having breakfast with her. He told her, that's not my car, but she knew from the licence plate number that it was. The newspaper story was asking if the owner of the car had died in an accident or if he'd been murdered. 
Meanwhile, her fiancé quickly left the breakfast table, telling her he was going to the coach station where he would be catching a coach to Hammersmith, London. When she asked why he was not driving, he told her his car had been stolen. When he arrived later that day at Hammersmith Coach Station in London, the Scotland Yard police were there to meet him. His fiancée, Phyllis Jenkins, had reported him to the police after he'd left her breakfast table in Wales. While Scotland Yard awaited the arrival of the police from Northamptonshire, the man told the London police that the person in his car had been a hitcher he'd picked up and that the hitcher had set the car on fire accidentally by lighting a cigarette as Ruse fetched a can of petrol from the boot of the car. Ruse said they'd run out of petrol, and while he had gone to relieve himself, he left the hitcher to fill the tank up with petrol. Then the car went up in flames, he said. He said he could not rescue the man, as the car was already ablaze, and the man was trapped inside. Mrs Ruse in London had no idea Mr Ruse had a secret fiancé in Wales. The Northampton police arrived and they did not believe Ruse's story, namely because they'd found the mallet beside the car with hair stuck on it. It looked very much to them like a murder, and they arrested him. Well, at his subsequent trial for murder, not one but three mistresses gave evidence about his unorthodox lifestyle, and it became clear that Ruse, a travelling salesman, did not live his life by telling the truth. An insurance inspector revealed that the feeding pipe for the petrol had been purposely loosened presumably in order for the petrol to spill more easily and help the fire take hold. Several children were due imminently to be born by Mr Ruse's mistresses, and it would seem that Mr Ruse had got himself into a spot of financial difficulty. What better way to avoid his responsibilities than by faking his death, he thought. He coldly and calmly explained how he had chosen a victim to play the role of himself. He had spotted a man outside the Swan and Pyramid public house in London a few days earlier and had invited him inside for a drink. The man had looked a little down on his luck and as they chatted over the drink, Ruse thought to himself, he was the sort of man no one would miss. Ruse said the man had told him he had no living relatives, no family, and he had no job either. This would be perfect, thought Ruse. This man would make the perfect stand-in. There would be no trail to follow. Ruse's luck got even better when the stranger said he needed to head north and was looking for a ride. Ruse eagerly volunteered to take him in his car, and they arranged it for a couple of days' time. On the appointed day, Ruse returned to the pub to meet the man, and they soon set off in Ruse's car. Ruse even generously bought a bottle of whisky for the man to enjoy as they drove. By the time they reached Northamptonshire, a couple of hours north of London, the stranger had fallen asleep in the passenger seat, having drunk quite a bit of the whisky and Ruse saw his chance. He quickly stopped the car, fetched his petrol can from the boot, and doused both the man and the car in petrol. Then he set the car on fire. Ruse made his way from there to one of his mistresses in Wales by hitching rides, telling the drivers that his car had been stolen. Although he would inevitably have been caught because of the unburnt licence plate on his car, many of those involved in his case remarked that Ruse's own mouth was his undoing. He simply could not stop talking. In fact, when he was arrested, the police said they found it hard to shut him up long enough for them to charge him. It was possible that this was because of a head injury he'd received during World War II. Ruse talked so much to the police that he ended up confessing everything he'd done and why. However, the real mystery remained to be solved. Who was the man he'd set fire to? Ruse told police he didn't tell me his name, but he did say he was looking for work and that he was in the habit of getting lifts on lorries. 
but he didn't tell me who he actually was. I didn't care. Ruse even admitted he had deliberately chosen Guy Fawkes tonight to give the man a lift up north, as he knew this would make the fire less conspicuous. Well, in time, Ruse was hung for his crime, but the identity of the dead man remained a puzzle. Seventy years later, in 2014, the Briggs family had been trying to complete their ancestry records by finding out what had happened to one of their predecessors, William Briggs from North London. They knew that he had gone to the doctor on the same day that Ruse had carried out his murder, and Mr Briggs had never returned home from the doctor's. They wondered, could he have been Ruse's victim? When William Briggs stepped out that day to go to the doctors, he had no known enemies or any worries in his life. His family thought he would soon come home, but when he didn't, they finally reported him missing to the police three months later. They said no real investigation was carried out by the police at the time. Well, after a few years had passed, William Briggs's sister went to the police again, looking for answers. She couldn't understand how the body in the car could not be her brother William because the body had the same hair colour as William, she said, and he'd been wearing a plum-coloured jacket, the same colour of jacket William's Briggs had left the house wearing. The family had also discovered that William often went to the same billiard hall where Ruse hung out. The family asked the police to reopen the murder case, but according to the Northampton Chronicle, the police told them the records had been destroyed. Then, in 2014, the family contacted the Northampton Police again, who this time put them in contact with scientists at the University of Leicester, who, in turn, contacted the Royal London Hospital Museum, who still held tissue samples of the victim in Ruse's car. At the time of the murder, the post-mortem had been carried out in the garage of a local pub by home office pathologists, who had collected samples of hair. The museum agreed to release some of the samples to the university for DNA testing, along with a male DNA sample from the family of William Briggs, in order to run comparisons. After full tests were completed, it was determined, however, that the victim in the burnt-out car was definitely not William Briggs. What happened to Mr Briggs remained a mystery, as did the identity of the car fire victim. Prior to this, in 2002, a pensioner living in Northampton had contacted a Chronicle newspaper to suggest a name. They said a name has been thrown into the ring when pensioner Daphne Townsend contacted the Cron. The retired warehouse packer believes she holds the key to the mystery, which has baffled detectives for 70 years. Mrs Townsend, 74, claimed her mother-in-law, Elizabeth Townsend, had always maintained the victim was her brother, Bill. She told how Bill was known for his bohemian lifestyle, travelling around the country for months, absent for most of the year. But he always returned for Christmas in the North London family's home. 1930s Christmas came and went, and Mrs Townsend became convinced her brother had fallen victim to Ruse's evil plan. The problem was, there was no proof to suggest this was Ruse's victim either. The Chronicle says the wildest name was put forward as the possible victim in 1948. According to newspaper reports from back then, a British man called Mr Popper had emigrated to America, where he had become involved in organised crime. Within just a few years, he had risen up through the ranks to become a lieutenant for the notorious gangster Al Capone. However, it would seem that Mr Popper then returned to England, but not before he too had faked his own death, and in a manner identical to Mr Ruse in England. Before Mr Popper left America, he chose a victim, 
a small-time player in the gangster world who he had picked up in his Cadillac and driven to Illinois. Upon arriving in Illinois, Mr. Popper set fire to the car with his victim inside, just like Mr. Ruse had done. Once back in England, Mr. Popper continued his criminal ways by escorting a man to the north of England, again eerily mirroring what Mr. Ruse had done. Mr. Popper's girlfriend later said that Popper had confided to her that his new victim was gullible and had a lot of money. Mr. Popper left London on November 5th, 1930 and told his girlfriend he would be back on Friday. He never returned. His girlfriend said she always felt that his plan had somehow backfired and that the murderer, Mr. Popper, had become the murdered instead. Were the tables turned on Mr. Popper? Did Mr. Ruse kill Mr. Popper in an identical way to how Mr. Popper killed his own victim in America? Yet with no prior knowledge of this. The thing was, Mr. Popper did not have any boxing or sports tattoos like the victim Mr. Ruse had picked up in the Swan and Pyramid pub in London, if Mr. Ruse is to be believed, and he was particularly forthcoming. So what happened to Mr. Popper, and who was the tattooed man in Mr. Ruse's car? <laughs>